Hello, thanks, Goff, and hi there. Uh, good to, to know that you're out there, and uh, really looking forward to opening God's Word together right now. We're in our current preaching series, Joy on the Journey, and uh, in it we're reading through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, and it's actually an incredibly joyful letter, which is a little bit surprising given that it's, it's written from a prison cell which is normally a place that you might associate with, uh, with misery and sorrow. And yet as we read through it, this, the, the joy just pours out of it. It leaps out of it at you and grabs your attention. And so we're reading through this uh, amazing letter, really just looking for the source of joy that Paul has as he writes. And the, uh, right now we're in Philippians 2, uh, starting at the beginning of that chapter, and we'll read through to... Uh, verse 18. So Paul writes this. He says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, he goes on, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may, be poured, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Well, it's a wonderful passage, uh, quite a long one, but we're going to focus particularly on verse 5, which says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I should say, actually, I'm reading from the ESV uh, translation of this passage, which I think brings out, uh, it emphasizes uh, certain things, I think, in a way that's helpful for us as we look at it. And there are three, well, they're, they're words, but there are translated expressions here that we're going to look at. And the first is, have this mind. Have this mind. And it's kind of a command, isn't it? Paul is saying, this is something you are to do. It's a command. It's something that actually through them we're commanded to do. And yet, not quite something to do, but something to have. 
It's an attitude. Have this mindset. Have this attitude. Have this disposition among yourselves. He, he go, he's, he's just described, in fact, in verse 3 and 4. He said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The focus here is not simply what they do. It's not about doing certain things, important though that is, but it's the, it's the attitude from which those things are done. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition. In humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. You see, God is not just interested in, the, in what we do, important though that is, there's something deeper that he's looking for, and it's a heart attitude. It's a change of heart. He's, he sees the core of our being and who we are, the way we are wired up, the way we are meant to be. It's not just the things we do. It's the person that we are, the attitude from which we act. That's why Jesus, remember, he says, uh, even if you look lustfully at a woman, that's, God says, I don't, that's even, that is, that, that's, that's, don't do that even. Don't just kind of be, be careful about how you act towards people, but it's the attitude from which we act that is important to God. He doesn't just want outward appearance. He wants the outward appearance to, to represent an inward reality of who we are. And as I say that, perhaps you can begin to see the challenge of this. Have this mindset. Have this attitude. Have this heart disposition it's, it's commanded, but how on, how on earth can Paul command such a thing? How are we to obey such a thing? Well, I want to just take a step back for a moment. We'll come to that in a, in a little while. But I want to just think more about this attitude that is commanded, this attitude of humility, which is defined for us here, not just in terms of looking to our, looking to our own interests, but also the interests of others, even prioritizing the interests of others putting other people first, this attitude of humility. It's been said by some that to be humble is not to think less of oneself, but to think of oneself less. And that's helpful because it, it kind of warns us away from a counterfeit of humility where we, might, we kind of turn in on ourselves and we start to think of, our, of ourselves as, as awful and rubbish and no good and we kind of end up despising ourselves. And actually, it's the opposite of humility when we begin to focus more and more on ourselves. That's not what humility is. True humility is focusing on the significance and value of other people and including them in our own good, even if it costs us greatly in the short term to do it. True biblical humility is an expansion and inclusion. It's not a replacement of the things that we hold dear. Again, you think Jesus, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. There's an expansion of what's significant and important to us. By contrast, haughtiness, it separates people. As we look down on people from a greater and greater height, humility draws people together. It unites us with bonds of love. As, as your interests become my interests, I take your good to my heart. So that's the first phrase. Have this mindset. Have this attitude. And the next little phrase is, among yourselves. 
Have this mindset among yourselves. See, this attitude is to characterize the whole church community. It's to be a community of humility. Not just one or two people, kind of particularly humble people, but actually widespread right across the church community, the body here in Philippi. And us, of course, here in Norwich. This is the attitude that is to characterize us, an attitude of humility as we relate to one another, as we go through life together with one another. You might think of yourself, in fact, it's easy to think of yourself as a humble person uh, if you are on your own. If, um, uh, if you're sitting at home, I mean, maybe you're on your own right now, or maybe you've gone to others. It's, it can be easy to think of yourself as, as generous and kind and considerate when there's no one else around you. You can imagine yourself to do all kinds of good things and uh, your character to be, uh, to be wonderful and perfect. It's only when you actually start walking with uh, real live people and getting close to people that sometimes we start to realize I'm not as kind and considerate and as humble as perhaps I thought. And in fact, I suspect certainly uh, with me, when people bump into me, they, I might be the means of them realizing that they perhaps are not as uh, kind and, uh, and considerate and, and so on as they, as they perhaps had assumed themselves to be. It's when we kind of do life together, we realize that we're a work in progress, that there, there, is a, uh, there is progress to be made in us in terms of this attitude of humility when we really get close to one another. And so again, there's this challenge here. How can Paul command humility? How can he command an attitude? How can we become more humble in the way that we relate to one another? I don't know, if, maybe if you've had children, you've... Um, I think I may have done this from time to time. You, you, you say, be kind. You say, say, be kind to someone. Perhaps when uh, siblings are kind of uh, not getting on uh, that well, you might say, oh, be kind to your brother or be kind to your sister. And it's a strange thing. I mean, we know what the, the heart is. We know what we mean, but it's an extraordinary thing. How can you command kindness? How can you command an attitude? How does that work? You can get a person to change their their actions by uh, bribery or by, by, by some threat or other. But how do you change an attitude, a core disposition? How can I become more humble? How can we be a community of humility? Well, Paul tells us how in the next phrase. He says, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And here's the key phrase. Here's the phrase of the whole letter, really, in Christ. Here's the key that we can begin to understand how we can take on this attitude, how this attitude can become ours. It can become ours in Christ Jesus. It's this little word in, really, is at the core of the Christian life. It's true that we follow Jesus. It's true that we believe in Jesus. It's true that we know Jesus. But here is the foundation of the Christian life. Here is the fountain of the Christian life. This word in, that we are in Christ Jesus. This is where the power for change comes. There is a union between my life and Jesus' life 
such that my life can no longer be understood without reference to Jesus. And if you're a Christian, it's the same for you. If you're trusting in Jesus, there is a unity now between your life and the life of Christ such that your life cannot possibly be understood without reference to the life and work of Jesus Christ. If you want to know about my sin, well, you need to know about Jesus, and you need to know what he did for me on the cross, and you need to know that my sin was dealt with fully on the cross, and you need to know that now I have Jesus' righteousness. My sin needs to be understood in the light of Jesus and what he did for me, and his righteousness is now mine in him. Jesus' righteousness is mine in him. If you want to know about my relationship with God, you need to look look at Jesus' relationship with his heavenly Father because his is mine in him. If you want to know about my future, what's going to happen in, in years to come, well, you need to look at Jesus. What is his future? What is his inheritance? Because his is mine in him. My life, your life, if you're a Christian, can only be understood with reference to Jesus. And it's the same with our attitudes. Although it's a process, it's outworked in our lives, that his become ours in him. I remember when I was young, I used to make these Paddington Bear molds. They're kind of rubber molds like this, and you mix the plaster of Paris, and you poured them into the mold, and you kind of hit it with the other end of a spoon or something to kind of get the air bubbles out and left it for a few minutes, and then you unpeeled the the mold, and there was this white Paddington bear ready to be painted. We are shaped by all sorts of things, our culture included. We're shaped by the culture around us, but how much more are we shaped by being in Christ? And even Knox, when life kind of deals us blows, even those knocks God can use for the forming of the character of Christ within us as our attitudes are formed in Christ. Right after Paul commands this attitude, he begins to lift up Jesus before them in this incredibly rich hymn of praise. He he says, have this mindset among you and then, which is yours in Christ Jesus, and then he directs their attention to Jesus Christ and what he has done. Jesus, who embodied this attitude of humility. Have this mindset among you that is yours in Christ Jesus. And then here is this, this it's an exa- it is an example, yes, and I, in some translations might emphasize that, but I went to the ESV because it emphasizes something even deeper than an example. This is not simply an example that we aspire to, that Jesus over there, and if only I could be like that, and I want to try and be like that. And of course, that is, of course that is part of it. Of course it's part of it that we are recipients of this humility. I mean, if you think about, if you want to Uh, bring kindness in someone and help someone become grow up to be a kind person well you you're kind towards them that's one of the ways that it works and yet there's something even deeper going on by this expression in Christ as we understand it in this letter they are in Christ and this attitude of humility comes out of their new identity in him This attitude of humility is formed in them as part of their true identity of who they are as the body of Christ on this earth, their identity in Christ. Have this mindset among you, which is yours 
in Christ. And so I want us to go through these, uh, these kind of few verses here very briefly now. But I want us to do it not just looking at this as an example of what we're to be like, true though that is, but I also want to understand that it speaks about our identity, your identity if you're a Christian, in Christ. It's a rich revelation of who Jesus is, but it also speaks to our nature and our identity and our destiny in Christ. So let's look at verse 6. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And when Paul speaks about form, he means the visible manifestation of the, the reality of, of something. It's, it's not just a kind of a, an outward appearance, but it's, it's different inside. No, there's a correspondence here between the, the, the expression of something and what it's really like. Jesus existed in the form of God because, and here the NIV puts it very well, he was in, the, he was in nature God. He was in very nature God. Jesus existed in the form of God because he was in very nature God. In him, the fullness of, of, of the deity lived. Jesus was fully God. It was who he was. And yet, crucially, he did not grasp at this equality. In fact, a prerequisite for humility is a deep security in who you are. So you're not always trying to kind of prove and grasp your identity. We're not frantically grasping at who we are, but we know who we are. And in Christ, of course, we are dearly loved sons and daughters of God, children of God. And we can know this by faith, not by what we do, not by trying to reach a certain standard, but by faith we trust in the person and work of Jesus. And by faith it's possible to come to a certainty and a security in who we are. If I'm challenged, I can point to Jesus. No, it's what Jesus has done for me. It's, it's his life, it's his death, it's his resurrection that counts for me. You can't understand my life unless you can understand the life and work of Jesus. There's a wonderful security that can come to us as we trust in Jesus. And in this security, it forms a, a wonderful foundation for humility. But there's another reason why Jesus didn't grasp at uh, this equality with God. He was equal with God, but he didn't kind of grasp onto it. And that's because he was going to take on another form, not to change who he was in any way, but to take on something else. And in fact, to express something so deep and profound in the very heart of God, to bring a visible form and expression to something that's always been there in the heart of God, in his very nature, a glorious aspect of God's nature that had, from, until that time, been somewhat veiled. Verse 7 goes on, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He took on the form of a servant. He became a man and took on the form of a servant. He genuinely became, he was a servant as a man. God is powerful. God is good. God is just. But he's also pure self-sacrificial love willing to serve others at great cost to himself. And what a cost as we look in verse 8. And being found in human form, he, he was a human, he was fully God and fully man. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus reveals a God to us who 
is willing to humble himself and die an agonizing death for us in our place because of the things that we had done, because of my sin, because of your sin. Jesus, he, he left the, the, the glorious presence that we, with his Father in heaven, and he was born in a stable, and he kind of started to, he, he was born in the grot of this world. And he didn't just take on the physical dirt and grime and all the rest of it. He took on our sin. He bore in his body the full consequences of our hideous rebellion against God. And he bore in his body the wrath of God against our sin. This is the extent to which our Savior, the Lord Jesus, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, which is glorious. But remember, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, this speaks of something of our nature. If you're a son or daughter of God, it is, it is your nature to humble yourself. It is part of who you actually are now as a new creation in Christ. This, this is who you are. This is the new creation that's coming through in us. The old is being kind of thrown off and put away. The new creation that's coming through, right at its heart there is a humility. It's not as if as Christians we're trying to do something which we're not. This is part of the new creation that's born by the Spirit in us and has on its heart this attitude of humility. And Paul is commanding it, but he's calling it forth. And through these words to us to call forth this attitude of humility that is ours in Christ. We no longer have to grasp at our identity through things like possessions or popularity or power or position. We know who we are in Christ. By faith, we know who we are. And therefore, we're freed from these things to humble ourselves, to roll up our sleeves and to, to get alongside others and help and serve even if it costs us our lives. And many through history, uh, Christians and followers of Jesus, have humbled themselves such that actually it's cost them their whole lives to love and serve those around them. But it doesn't end there. We're going to kind of just, as we're, we're coming to the end here, we're looking at verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him. He's highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Having revealed the extent of God's love for us, having revealed the very nature and heart of God to us. In fact, having revealed something now of our nature and identity in him, uh, he's lifted up. Jesus is lifted up by his Father. God exalts Jesus, saying, this is what I esteem. This is who I am. This is my plan for humanity. This is my plan for my people. Jesus is rightly given all power and authority and worship. It's a, a wonderful thing. I, I, I love this, that I worship a God, that we worship a God who stoops down to endure the, the grot of my rebellion. He endured the, the terrible consequences of my sin. He endured the consequences, actually, of my grasping at identity outside of God, that Jesus came and he took the consequences of that upon himself. And then he... 
He renews my life in him. I worship a God who stooped down. If you're a Christian, you worship a God who stooped down, a God who in humility in the person of Jesus became a man and took on the consequences of our sin. And if you're not a Christian, I want to commend you and I want to lift up Jesus to you. And I want to say this is what he is like. This is who God is, a God who would stoop down to rescue us, to save us at great cost to himself and wants to lift us up in him too. We are in Christ. As we stoop down, we will be lifted up. There's a wonderful symmetry that is going on here. Jesus takes the lowest place and he receives the highest place. And there's going to be a great reversal coming where those, Jesus says those that were first will be last and those who are last will be first. And that alone would seem to me to be good reason to take a low position right now and to serve others with all that we've been given and with our, our lives. And yet there's something even greater going on that as we do that, as we humble ourselves uh, for, for a time right now, as we expand what we value and include the good of others in our own good, we are more like Jesus and we shine out to those around us what God is like. And they can experience, in small part, yes, something of who God is and what he is like and how he wants to include them in Christ and lift them up in Christ when Jesus returns. So I hope that's been helpful. I hope that's uh, given us some insight into this uh, command. At first seems impossible. How am I to become more humble? And yet actually, not only does it speak about the glory of God revealed in Jesus, but it speaks about our identity and our destiny. So I'm going to invite uh, the band to come back right now. I'm just going to pray for us. And then we're going to sing a wonderful uh, hymn, a song that declares and focuses on the person of Jesus and what he has done for us. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he humbled himself to die in our place, bearing in himself the awful consequences of our sin. And I pray that by your Spirit, you would give us a security to know who we are. Give us the security as we trust in you, Lord Jesus, to know who we are in you, sons and daughters of God. And I pray that in the, in the wonderful place of that security, in the knowledge of that security, in the knowledge of our, our future uh, inclusion in Christ as he is lifted up, that you would empower us by the Spirit to be able to stoop down now and humble ourselves now and not reach and grasp at the things of this world, but, but, but look to the good of others, just as you did, Lord Jesus. May your image be formed in us as a body together here in Norwich at King's, one to another. May this attitude that Jesus had be formed in us, be, be manifest in us in Christ, we pray, for the benefit of others, that they would see and taste and touch something of your goodness Lord Jesus, we pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Let's worship together.